Welcome to the Foul Vine Podcast with Sarah and Scotty Moe, where everything wine and baseball is in fair territory. This week, we will be drinking a Robert Mondavi Cabernet Sauvignon, interviewing SVP of Baseball Operations for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Brian Stroh, recapping Week 21, and discussing vibes around the vineyard. Grab a glass and join us. Look, big paper, I increase my wealth, uh, red wine, that's good for my health, uh, wrestle with demons, I ain't take no L's, uh, allow me to introduce myself, I said. Welcome back, Scotty. Sarah, how's it going? Another week of baseball in the books, just like that, um, which is wild. Last week, full disclosure listeners, last week we recorded on a thursday and this week it's a tuesday so short week for us but still a lot of baseball quick turnaround quick turnaround indeed so but uh, so how you was know, your weekend it was it was good sarah it was good we um went out on a boat in pittsburgh again um right before the, the steelers bills game okay nice on the game and i know this is a baseball podcast but i just want to put it out there that the steelers are winning the super bowl this year i've, I've never been more convinced wow Hot take. Not that I've never been more convinced about the Super Bowl, but I'm way too optimistic about the Steelers team. I'm mm-hmm. happy. This is a, this is a football town. So. Yeah, I'm I'm a little sad. I know I told you it's the season of love. I'm a Packers fan, but I do <clears throat> get a little emotional now. I'm just kidding. Um, I I do miss Aaron though already. I miss him. I will say. <laughs> well, you can turn on HBO and watch him. Every I can anytime <laughs> I wanted. You're right. <laughs> Well, how was your weekend, Sarah? How's the New England? Yeah. Anything else? Tour to New England continues. Um, New Hampshire is beautiful. Yeah, can't complain. Um, can't complain at all. It, it's been great. I can't believe it's already the end of August here. Um, I know. It's wild. Don't, don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> it's <but>. going back. <laughs> I know. But uh, no, I love, I love that journey for you. Hmm. Thanks, Scotty. Yeah, we love a tour to New England. It's it's going well, um, but it's made it a little hard for us to find the same bottle of wine. But today we picked a very popular one, um, so I think it's somewhat easier. We're drinking Robert Mondavi Cabernet Sauvignon. Both of our versions are the year twenty nineteen. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Okay, and private selection as well. Private selection, which is a different winemaker um which is so it is a different brand um the robert mondavi versus robert mondavi private selection so we're drinking that privado stuff that private stuff um today mine is bourbon barrel aged yours is not yours is a hundred what percent cab okay so just how yours is i'm guessing stored is a little bit different but right love that so i'm excited to to compare and contrast with you for sure. Um, but a little bit about Robert Mondavi. Um, Robert Mondavi established his namesake winery in 1966 down in um, Napa Valley. So California um, Cabernet Sauvignon is one of the most popular red wines in the world, you know, originating from France, but really became popular um, in the 70s down in California. So Robert Mondavi was there for that. Um, he the name of the vineyard is to cologne i don't know if i'm pronouncing that or to kaylin vineyard in the heart of napa valley it's near oakville um and it's known for producing some of the finest cabernet sauvignons in the world um and 
Mr. Mamdavi doesn't own it, but he is now part more of a figurehead of Constellation Brands, who actually bought this um, winery as one of their brands in t- in the early 2000s. So this okay. is now owned by Constellation Brands. And funny enough, at one of my old jobs, um, they were a client during COVID, and um, I got a friends and family discount. So one of the first purchases of COVID was a lot of wine from the Robert Mondavi wineries. <laughs> Got a got a nice oh. little cheeky discount, which was awesome. Love that. Yeah, love um, a good discount. We love a good discount, and if it's a deal, if you don't talk about it, unsure, right? Exactly. So the um, Robert Mondavi private selection is somewhat different. The website says that it is inspired by the pioneering spirit of the legacy of Robert Mondavi. The philosophy is hands-on at every step. Glenn, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, Cothell is the winemaker there. Um, and he has a background in our agricultural business, um, but they say that the hands-on approach makes him a perfect fit to be the winemaker for this um, iconic Robert Mondavi private selection brands. Um, and just interesting. He has a quote that says, "Wines start in the vineyard. Being part of the process from that first step is essential." Wow. Yeah, which is good. Um, good to hear. It's what you want to hear from your winemaker, but also you could say the same thing about baseball. So I thought Absolutely. that was really nice. Yeah. Great quote. Being part of the process from that first step is essential. They do say all the pieces matter, right? All the pieces matter, Scotty. That's right. And um, so a little bit about this Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, you should taste some aromas, black cherries, blackberries, vanilla, uh, mocha, some tasty oak. You're usually going to get, um, an oakiness in a Cabernet, um, sauv. I'm definitely going to get some bourbon barrel, some burby, bourbon and oaky taste. Some, burb. in some burbs for sure. Um, this, the internet also says that this is going to be layered and complex, um, it leaps from the glass with aromas of blackberry, cobbler, graham cracker, brown sugar, milk, chocolate, coffee, and smoke. So I feel like this is going to be pretty rich, um, very flavorful, very sweet, more like desserty, but full-bodied. I'm interested to try it out. Yeah, I think both of ours are going to be full-bodied. I think you might have more of like an oaky, like, uh, shall I say, bourbon flavor. Mm. Yeah, so, so we'll may see. say that the bourbon barrel aged wine may taste a little, a little like bourbon, but yeah, um, let's open these bad boys up. In our Clemente, or my Clemente Museum wine glass as always, shout out. Shout out. Oh, nice. Got it. Smells, the cork smells nice. Very I'm... chocolatey. Oh, strong. And this is dark, I will say that. A nice dark color in the glass. Oh, there are legs. Big Big pores only, Scotty, lest we forget. Yeah, very dark, ruby. Let me see. Ooh, Ooh, strong smell. Very strong smell indeed. I get the black cherry. Yep, I'm getting like a... Yeah, blueberry, uh, raspberry, or 
black i guess blackberry um all the berry mixers <laughs> interesting yeah I, my, I can definitely smell, I can the smell tannins mm. Ooh. Okay. this is very rich like i can definitely taste high in tannins the bourbon whiskey in mine rich in vanilla and yeah, you know what? Yeah. I am tasting a little bit of vanilla. That's what I couldn't put my finger on. Mm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Very bold wine. Um, not Very. something that they would they wouldn't call this an easy drink per se, but yeah. It's a sip. And I saw something else in my research that saying that Cabernet Sauvignon isn't necessarily the best wine to drink without food because it can be so overwhelming. I was going to say, and yeah, you like definitely it. don't want to drink this on an empty stomach. Yeah. <laughs> so be sure to eat up. I did have a cannoli before this. I had a glass or I had a plate of Cacio e Pepe. So I Ooh, think I'm, you win. <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> you win the Italian offer. All righty. Well, um, let's uh, sip on this. Yeah, let's sip on it. See how I'm very interested to see how this open up opens up because um, it is really rich at first taste. So, yeah, we have a great show today. Very excited to get into it. Um, cheers, Scotty. Salute there. Salute. Okay, and now we have on very special guest, SVP of Baseball Operations for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and my good friend Brian Stroh. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. This is awesome and definitely long overdue. So really excited to have you. First things first, do you like wine and what kind? Um, yes, and most. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great Good answer. answer. Care to elaborate a tad on what kind of wine um, you can dabble I in? I grew up in a household where um, my parents liked wine, and so um, I remember them talking about it a lot and thinking it was interesting. And then one of my brothers moved to Australia when I was very young, when like Australian wine was really getting big in like the late nineties. And so he started like telling my parents like really good wines to buy and he would bring them home for Christmas. And so like my family became big Australian Shiraz fans. And so that was kind of my gateway. That's so random. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, when I was living in Chicago, um, I remember, you know, there's like, there's part of your overall, like you're, you're starting to drink wine with friends and you're having it at dinner more. And then I, I, I remember being at dinner with my now wife and having a particular bottle that like just lit my hair on fire a little bit. And I said to Sarah, I was like, we need to get into this more and learn more about it. And then it became like this crazy hobby where all I did was research it and buy it and think about it a lot for a long time. And, and you know, um, that's what hobbies do, right? They give you something to take stress away and focus your brain on. And um, you'll love this, you know, at, we just actually finished our basement at home and I, I put a half a wine wall in to, you know, sort of- I put would some expect wine. nothing less. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll show it to you sometime, so. So what's kind of been in your cellar recently or on your wine rack recently? Uh, we drink a fair bit of California Pinot Noir. Okay. Some of that is because my wife's brother has been in the wine industry for 12-ish, 13-ish years, something like that, and has worked for a number of Pinot producers. And so with him, we've sort of like explored the many, many great 
um, wineries in California. Um, it's a little more food friendly to me, and it's also a little lighter and easier to drink in the summer months kind of thing than mm -hmm. some reds. Um, but we love good California Cabernets. And um, man, we're drinking a lot of rosé this summer, and uh, my wife loves pink bubbles. And so like we kind of go down rabbit holes of like certain providers that make really good pink bubbles. And I don't know, I just like a little bit. Of, I love California Chardonnays. I love, I, we tend to drink more um, US wine, I guess. Not because I don't like French or Italian or European wine, because I just know a lot less about it. And it's sort of a harder market to just, tap into when you only know a little bit whereas like i feel like i can probably feel my way around most california wines and so we can make an educated decision on price points and things like that so um but maybe that'll be a later in life hobby i don't know so i guess my question was going to be what's your favorite wine region i think you answered it, it sounds like you're like a napa valley guy i think we go sonoma just because it's a little bit okay. better pinot area um uh the extreme sonoma coast there's a lot of places up in the russian river sonoma coast areas probably are that's where we would put a pin in the map or whatever. So, and you mentioned quite a variety there too. Do you typically um, go towards lighter wines, or you, you mentioned you do like cabs, but you, you like your Pinot Noirs, your Rosés, Chardonnays? You know what? My favorite meals are the ones where we open multiple bottles and have multiple kinds. And so, love that. You, know, you start <laughs> you start the uh, evening with a nice white of some sort and uh, and then you maybe have a glass of Pinot with the first course. And then if it's Thanksgiving, you open the cabs with dinner or something like that, you know? So those, I mean, wine's great with friends and Thanksgivings and Christmases and like where you open a bottle at noon and, you know, it's like just around the house. So, um, it's not quite probably as much volume as it was when I was younger because we're all getting older, but um, yeah, it's it's often open and available at our house. Just as wine should be. Right? Uh, so Scotty and I are drinking tonight a Robert Mondavi private selection, Cabernet Seven, yeah, from the year 2019. If you could think... rate this wine, because you've probably had many California Cab Savs in your day, you could rate it on the 20 to 80 scale what would you give a california capso um so i'll uh i'll try to dig a little deeper so mondavi i'd say has a high floor generally um Definitely. never gonna ruin somebody's day and they have some real high-end labels which would be the 80s right uh 2018 was a really really good year in napa so i would imagine it's even in higher floor so it's probably like a 50 or a 55 or something like that like what it's tasting like thus far so. if you're already on glass too good for you <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i mean it's it's honestly like it, the one of the great things about wine is like it's so individualized and personal and the market for it is so inefficient i feel like like you can do homework and find really expensive wines for not that expensive and whether it's just like price comparison shopping or just waiting or finding like closeouts that like distributors have like the it's just a weird sales system like in pennsylvania you know the it's all at the state stores and in lots of other places there's lots of other places that have to compete for your business and i don't know it's just that's how i got into it, it was like my ticket scalper brain got into wine like it was i was just acquiring like a commodity and it was like oh this 50 dollars thing i can get for 30 dollars that excites me you know so <laughs> whether or not i ever drink it or not or like it or not is a different question but like look at this i saved 20 dollars today so. yeah it's really fun and it's a fun way to connect with people obviously a lot of this podcast um 
but we're also here to talk about baseball. So I think we should get into Ooh, my it. Favorite things, you know. <laughs> I know your two favorite things. It's really this is great. Match made in heaven. You know, so. Yeah. Um, so growing up, young baby Brian Stroh, Midwestern Brian Stroh, who is your favorite player? So um, there's two parts to this because I actually first 12 years of my life Southern California, right. born there, first games at Dodger Stadium. Um, so there's actually a part of this that the answer is Dusty Baker because he played left field, batted third for some really good Dodgers teams when I was a kid. And so my first like five years going to games, my dad, we lived like an hour, an hour and a half away. So we only went like a couple times a year and he always chewed bubble gum. And it was like a thing you remember as a kid, like he always had a massive wad of bubble gum. In his and back in the late seventies, early eighties, if you got there for batting practice, you could throw bubble gum onto the field for Dusty. And he would like, go pick it up, put it in his pocket and chew it, right? Like clearly not, not happening that way anymore. So uh, anyway, first 10 or 12 years, I'd say Dusty Baker. Um, my family's all from Iowa. And as I got older and connected with some of my family who were massive Cub fans, I sort of adopted the Cubs. And Ryan Sandberg was the you know, sort of glue of the 84 and 89 teams and uh, a hero to many of us sort of like underskilled, uh, but big heart, you know, baseball players. And so like, I always tried to sort of model my baseball playing career and my, and also my personality a little bit off him because he always seemed to be just very steady and was never in trouble and people liked him. And um, so he was, he would be the, the second answer. Uh, Dusty Baker, also a big wine guy. So, yeah. so heading. crazy story, but later in life, as I was a lawyer, I had occasion to represent him. Dusty was a client when he was um, uh, on the board of directors for Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. So he was doing philanthropic things when he was the manager of the Cubs. And um, I had some cases that involved the uh, trial of former Governor Rod Blagojevich. And mm. the short <laughs> version of this is that Lago loved baseball. The, the hospital needed the state to like change some reimbursement rates for some of the things that they worked on. And they asked Dusty to go talk to Blago about it because, hey, Dusty's Dusty and baseball is important and interesting. And and um, what Blago ended up being put in prison for was um, trying to sort of extort places like Children's Memorial Hospital for these reimbursements. And Dusty ended up being a witness who didn't do anything wrong. He was just trying to lobby for the kids, basically. Um, but my firm ended up representing Dusty, so I got to tell him the story about the bubble gum, and he looked at me. He's like, "Man, you ain't doing that anymore. Nobody, <laughs> doing it. you know." I'll never forget. I, I met with him in, a, in in our law firm in Washington D.C. on a really cold winter day, and um, it was in the off season, and he had been managing Washington at the time, and he showed up in like the nicest trench coat I have ever seen in my life. It was one of those, like, if I ever buy like a really expensive trench coat, I want it to be that one because he looked like a prince in it. You know, he just yeah. looked so, and he had the glasses and he had hat and like, he just, it was like, this is the best looking man I've ever seen, you know? Um, and we spent a few hours together and worked through some legal things. And it was fun to sort of have a small world moment with one of my childhood idols. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so you go on from there before we get into the whole law thing. Um, you played baseball in college. What position did you play and where did you go? I was a right-handed sinker baller pitcher. Love that. At Princeton University um, in beautiful Princeton, New Jersey. Um, I did not throw 90 miles an hour and I was not left-handed. So, you know, I had a 
solid but unspectacular college career and um you know played uh with uh, arizona diamondbacks gm mike hazen was the center fielder on our team for four years and um played for coach scott bradley who's still there and um i credit with a ton of my love of the game because we played for a different coach for the first three years it was sort of a different world and former big leaguer shows up and he had caught randy johnson's no hitter and he gave me a glove that i still have that was from a big leaguer curtis laskanic who was a pitcher and i was like starry-eyed and he had me emailing with a former big leaguer named billy swift who was a sinker baller because i was a sinker baller and he's telling me how i grip things you know and i'm just like this is the greatest dude sort of rekindled my uh my love of baseball and um i'm still in touch with coach Brad. He's, he's he's a great guy i don't know if you remember uh this name if he was around your time but uh one of my cousin's best friends was uh, ross ollendorf who played for the pirates so and... ross was a little bit younger than me i think okay. Oh, I'm was class of 98. He's probably like, oh, four. Ross is also much more talented than I was, you know, with a big league career. So. So what what was your uh, major at, at um, Princeton? Did you always see yourself? I know you said you worked in law. Did you see yourself pursuing a career in baseball? You know, I um, baseball obviously became a, a big passion hobby thing. I remember you know, I'm old enough that the internet was brand new when I went to college and, you know, you could spend all day reading about music and you could spend all day reading about sports and you found all sorts of statistics and like, you just go down these rabbit holes. And part of the reason I probably didn't get better grades was just spending all day on Netscape looking at Cubs things. And I remember Netscape. That was the browser. I know. I love it. Such a good show. I'm doing this to date myself a little bit. Yeah. I'm here for it. I'm very Um, here. So like I, I'm 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 I think most people who are in baseball and I'm no different would lie. There wasn't some fantasy that when they were in college they wanted to be a GM of a team, right? I just that we used to sit in the bullpen when I wouldn't pitch very much my first few years and sit there and talk about how we would make changes to whoever team we were talking about, you know. Um, but I don't know that I ever actually really seriously thought that it was a path because like I don't know the. The pathway is you're a former player, at least in the 90s, you're a former player or a former scout or something like that. And or you know the right person, right? Or your dad owns the team or you know, something like that. And and so yeah, it would have been great. But like I don't there's also the reality part of you that just sort of says, okay, well, you're gonna go to law school or wherever you end up deciding to do it. So yeah, so you decide to go into law school, you work as a lawyer for a bit. Talk us about the transition from lawyer to baseball operations executive um yeah i mean it was uh, most people in the game realize quickly that it's not the cream rising to the top right i mean we're all pretty smart but none of us are really going to win that contest it's um all of us i don't know about you strove (laughs) you were probably the smartest one right you won you won the interviews right with your smarts and wit and charm but um I um, look. I I was fortunate enough to work on some baseball stuff as a lawyer. Some of it was for the White Sox, and was fortunate that at the time, um, a guy named Frank Cunley was at the commissioner's office, and he was sort of managing different legal things for the various clubs. And so our case overlapped with him when I was a mid-level associate, and um, I had the most fun on that case I'd ever have on it because like, wow, it's about baseball. And like the fact that I know how these things work is really like helpful as a lawyer. I'd never had that combination before. Usually it was like lawyer, 
and the baseball fan was like separate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of opened my eyes a little bit. I didn't keep in touch with Frank, but apparently I made a decent enough impression on him that um, six, six-ish years later, he decided to make a change in general counsel. The real irony to your question, Scotty, is that um, my predecessor um, was the person who put on the case against Ross Ollendorf in a salary arbitration hearing. And Frank was, he's kind of the dean of salary arbitration. He half invented everything that baseball does in salary arbitration. And he's long known as one of the best practitioners in baseball history. And so it was a passion for him that the Pirates were really good when he was the president of the club in salary arbitration. And I wasn't here, but right or wrong, he didn't think that the Russell Endorf case was handled very well. And that led to him thinking, I need to make a change in general counsel. Um, So that opened the door. He talked to some people. Um, at the league and with some other teams and happened to talk to the White Sox about some of the work that I was doing. And he remembered that I was on a case that he had remembered from five years earlier. And my phone rang one day, just completely out of the blue. I remember I was at a client meeting. I was out in the suburbs of Chicago. I was billing hours like you do as a a lawyer and not thinking about baseball. I didn't have a resume out with him. I didn't have, yeah, it wasn't a job posting. It was just the phone rang one day. And, um, a couple of months later, I was moving to Pittsburgh, having literally never been there other than when I had um, come out to interview with Frank. A tale as old as time. I know that one. Timing is everything. Yeah. <laughs> Timing is everything. Um, so you move out of general counsel and then into baseball operations. Did you end up seeing the game a different way um, when you first came over to the operations side, or how was that transition for you? Yeah, I think both both transitions were very eye-opening. I, like, I thought I knew a ton about the game from the outside, and I probably knew as much as you could learn on the outside. And then I showed up here thinking I had stuff to add, and I realized how complicated it was. And I remember being intimidated by that when I was a general counsel. Like, I, I could negotiate, and I could help with stuff like that. But, you know, you're built, you got Dan Fox running an R&D department, and Dan was a legend at Baseball Prospectus, and you got really good scouts that have been scouting the game for 30 years and seen thousands and thousands of players and suddenly you realize okay like there's a lot of people here that know a lot um i probably got some exposure to that and i really appreciate neil and frank the way that they ran things when i was the general counsel they let me be in the room in a lot of situations you know at the winter meetings and at the trade deadline and and um i just learned a ton from all of them we had a lot of smart people um i think the 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 weird thing about my transition to the operation baseball operation side was that it coincided with the shutdown so um you know, like Ben and I had been talking, you know, Ben took over at the end of 2019, Travis took over just before that. And then at the beginning of 2020, I'm trying to figure out what to do, whether I'm still going to be general counsel. And um, I was talking to a couple of other teams about some some roles. And then Ben was just like, well, what if we talked about a different role for you here kind of thing? And talked to Kevin Graves, who I've known for a long time, who'd been here and, and you know, we talked through it and the job seemed interesting. And so I said, okay, that sounds really cool. And so we, we sort of agreed to it. And then the world shut down like two days later. Um, and so I had this very sort of strange, but beneficial four or five months where we're all home. Right. And nobody knows what's going on with the world and nothing's happening. Um, and so we're all trying to figure out what's going on with baseball. Right. And, um, it was an amazingly good opportunity for me and in, in reflection to get to know Derek Shelton and to get to know Donnie Kelly and to get to know all these new coaches that we had just hired 
because I wasn't in spring training that year. I had no prior history with any of them. Um, and honestly, like I, I really am lucky that that four months of a, of a group of new coaches who didn't know anything about the Pirates, didn't know anything about Pittsburgh, except for Donnie, obviously, um, you know, Oscar Moran and, um, you know, others, like we just sort of, I was like a source for them on things. How do the Pirates handle this? It could be a benefits question, you know, whatever, but um, can you help me figure out an answer to this? And I became sort of like the, like the gopher almost of like figuring something out for people. Um, and um, that let me behind the curtain a little bit on some of the way they think about baseball. And so I got another opportunity to learn, right? So you, you take all the stuff that I think I learned from the prior regime. And then you gave me this crash course of like, Every day, like I'm on Zoom calls and phone calls with people thinking about how they're going to manage their team and run their team and how they think structurally about baseball players and rosters. And um, and so you come out of it on the other side, like with a massively different perspective. Um, and then you layer all on top of that, like, you know, none of us ever really figure out the game. Right. So like even four years later, like I'm constantly reminded about how little I know and I sort of think that if you don't have a healthy dose of of humility and what we do like the game humbles you really fast right i mean we've seen great players go through those things we've seen great executives we saw a couple of great executives get let go a couple of hours ago in chicago and yeah, that's right. the game the game just humbles you really really quickly and um i hope i uh i hope i always remember that so you you go from council to the operations side uh during the shutdown um you know we talked to steve two weeks ago and I think he mentioned like a lot of his areas of focus or I'm sure you, you all have your hands in a lot of buckets, but I think his areas of areas of focus are like the amateur scouting side, the draft. Do you want to talk us through like where your areas of focus are? Sure. I mean, it's evolved a little bit and Sarah knows this well, um, you know, to start, it really was like the COVID guy, right? Like baseball wrote a 160 page manual about how we're going to play games in a shortened season. And then in 2021 with all the COVID rules. And so what do you do? You give it to the former lawyer, right? Because that's <laughs> reading rules and applying them and stuff like that. So, um, so that was my primary responsibility for a couple of years. And then I oversaw the clubhouse. So, you know, our trainers and our uh, travel people and our nutritionists and our clubby staff. And, um, and then I kind of just became Shelty's like, kind of like we did, we talked about a minute ago, just help me figure out the answer to X. And sometimes that's baseball related and sometimes it's just life related, right? Um, and then as Sarah joined us, um, you know, we sort of, I sort of stepped into like a more of a businessy role to help interface the baseball operations department with the business side, with our finance department and our HR team and, you know, trying to help run our baseball group as effectively and efficiently as possible. Um, of course, when Sarah left, that all went to snot. So, um, you know, like that's just something I still struggle with every day. But um, the last couple of years, I've I've transitioned more into a um, kind of a roster management and sort of like baseball operations strategy role. I still oversee the clubhouse, but we have a little bit more layers involved where some of that is a little more indirect now. And I still am involved in the budget from a macro standpoint, but we've got a maybe a little bit better processes built in place um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So Steve definitely leads all of our scouting areas. Our, our other sort of musketeer is, is sort of in charge of our R&D and our player acquisition groups. And then I sort of am like the cast of Misfit Toys, like everything else sort of like mm. lots of video and, you know, travel and all these little sort of groups sort of roll up through me. So um, together, that's how we make it work the best island the island of misfit toys is the best island to be my favorite island. one as well yeah <laughs>
Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what it means? What does roster management mean for the average everyday fan, you know, the listeners out there? Um, what does that exactly entail? Um, it's, you know, operating your 26 man roster on a nightly basis and your 40 man roster of controllable players in an optimal and efficient way amongst a bazillion sort of inconsistent league rules, I guess I would say, <laughs> right? Like, so, you know, you take the field tonight and we've got 26 guys active. you got 13 pitchers, 13 position players. Um, that's a mix of young kids and older players like Andrew McCutcheon. And, um, you know, there are rules about your control of those players. And so um, some players have what are called options. And if you want to send them to the minor leagues, you can, and you send them on an optional assignment to AAA and you can recall the player from AAA to take that person's spot. But a player like Andrew McCutcheon, who's been around for a long time, He's just on your team. And if you want to take him off your team, he's off your team. But there's no way, ability to really get him to the minor leagues unless you go through sort of a waiver process. So there's just all these little sort of sub layers to that. And so I guess the, the the way I think about it is just trying to help Shelty and Ben optimize the use of the spots and optimize the tracking of all that information in a way that helps us win games on a nightly basis and then helps us acquire talent in the offseason. So some nights after games, we're talking about how our bullpen is tired and we've used a lot of relievers and we need a fresh arm tomorrow. Some nights after games, a player is hurt. And so we need to figure out how we're going to redeploy people on the bench and then recall a different player to fill for the injured player. Sometimes it's great. We win a game and there's nothing to talk about because everybody's healthy and rested. Um, you know, but there's just, there's just, a, it's keeping track of all the rules, frankly, so that they don't have to. And then entering the rules and making sure that your media people say the right words and that the players understand the message and, um, and then just trying to take stress off other people. What would you say? I mean, I think you've pretty much answered this, but what would you say is the biggest challenge or obstacle with roster management and roster construction, especially with, in a position that the, the current Pirates team is in right now, where, you know, you may have some guys at AAA that you want to see get at-bats at the big league level, guys get innings, and, you know, managing options and all that. Um, is it just following all the roles that there there are throughout the league in terms of roster construction? or You know, I think, I mean, that's certainly some of it. Um, I I think my biggest piece of feedback is probably that you have to control for the fact that everybody grew up like I did wanting to be a GM. And when you think about wanting to be a GM, you think about two things. You think about trades and you think about running your roster, right? And so everybody has an opinion about how you should do your job. And you just have to accept that at some point. Like I remember the first few times I was involved, it was kind of like, I don't know, you feel a little like, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't have an opinion about how you should scout a player necessarily because I don't know enough about scouting to literally say that guy's got a forty, not a fifty arm or something like that, right? Um, and so I think most most people don't unless you're in the scouting world. And if you're in the scouting world, you can discuss that. And Steve has a lot of opinions about that because he has a ton of experience on it. But everybody you work with, and then everybody in the city has opinions <laughs> about how you should run your roster, who should be in your rotation, and who should be in the minor leagues, and how you should get them there, and all those sorts of things. So sometimes the, the the job is just clearing out the noise yeah see then, scotty i told you you weren't alone <laughs> you're not i'm sure you have lots of opinions about all the moves we've made that aren't great right um Absolutely. and just presenting to shelter or ben or both that okay really there's only really three choices here and here's why there's only three choices and we should do this or this or this and here is the pros and the cons and if you want my recommendation i'll give it to you but otherwise you know 
some of it is strategic in a way that like is really hard to make public like I, t I had I had a conversation at the winter meetings last year with one of the members of our media who was sort of taking a few shots at us about some of our moves and some of our announcements and he was really frustrated about one of the roster protect days like we didn't make the announcement until like nine o'clock at night and like every other team made the announcement at like four o'clock and i told him it was because i was waiting for hoy park to wake up because i didn't want hoy park in back home over out east you know like to like wake up to twitter or wake up to text yeah. messages telling him that we had taken him off the roster and ben yeah sarah knows this well ben sort of lives in a very clear areas of like right and wrong and how you want to do things as an organization and I respect that Ben wants that to happen. And so we didn't announce it until we woke up. And of course it's the other side of the world. So like, then we announced it at nine o'clock and, and that's not the kind of thing we're ever going to share publicly, but privately I was like, look, man, you gotta understand sometimes you're trying to reach people in far own remote places. Sometimes they're in the Dominican and they're out of cell service. Sure. You know? And so like, um, there's always a reason why you do something. And so one of the things Sarah will remember, and we talk about a lot in our department is, trying to assume the best about the people that you work with like even if you disagree with it like why would they do that challenge yourself to think about okay there's got to be a reason there's probably a fact you don't know there's probably some discussion to have whatever it is and then ask the question why did you do it and then compare notes kind of thing and it's hard to do that at a macro level but internally we're trying to get to the point where like you know a lot of people think it's easy and obvious that you should make certain moves and it's like no there's a rule about that you can't do that you can only do it this many times you know so so um, many rules commission i know come on <laughs> let's go and it's like baseball builds rules upon rules so like nobody really right. remembers why the first rule was written it's just it's it's the only way you can live now because all these doors got opened along the way and then you close them and you know close loopholes and you know if we started from scratch we would have a very different i, I like that uh I like that um, saying, like, what thinking the best of whoever's making that decision, why would they do that? I think that can be applied in many different definitely. areas, not just in baseball, you know? Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely going to remember that one. Well, we talk about it a lot with um, there's a gap between the clubhouse and, and the front office, and then there's a gap between the clubhouse and the public, of course. And so, of course, there's always going to be non-public information, right? Like, if a player comes in and says... I had a terrible day. My mom died or something like that. Like, you're not going to just go out. Well, we're not going to use player X tonight because his mom died, right? You're going to help protect him and try yeah. to make him feel better and support him. And maybe you stay away from it. And if there's a question, you know, why didn't Shelty use him in the eighth inning? That's a terrible move. Like, sometimes you just got to wear that. And he's good about that. But for some of our younger colleagues who maybe have a little less experience with the game itself, they love the, like, topics of the game and they love the strategy of the game. And, um, researching or whatever about the game, but maybe haven't, you know, played it or grown up with it. Um, that's a way I think to try to help them understand some of the other subjective things that might be valued. You know, um, there was a, there was a really good example. I thought where there was a bunch of people that really thought Shelty should have left the pitcher in for one more inning kind of thing. Cause the matchups yeah. better and all this other stuff. And we brought a reliever in and of course Murphy's law is that the reliever gives up runs and, yeah. you know, and, I was really proud of a couple of people that I worked with that were like, I'm, I'm sure that like the guy was gassed and Oscar probably talked to him and the guy just said, I got to get out of here kind of thing. And you try to share that. And of course you go down afterwards and then why'd you take out Oviedo? Well, he was done. He looked at me and said, you got to get me out of here. I, I'm fried. Like, and I just kind of looked at his eyes and I trusted that. Of course, you're not going to say that publicly, but privately yeah. we should assume that Shelty has all the information and makes the best decision he can, not because he, rolled off a turnip truck, but because like there was some reason that pushed him that way, you know? So.
Makes sense. Speaking of subjectiveness, do you ever have some sort of yearning just to grab a guy off the waiver wire that has a cool name and or is from your state and or went to Princeton? You know, just like some sort of bias just to be like, I want to grab this guy. There are people here that will say that I am biased towards a guy named Mike Ford because he did go to Princeton and he <laughs> often finds himself on the waiver wire and he plays first base and we have needed a first baseman a few times over the last few years. So <laughs> his name has come up in that exact vein and, and okay. my response is typically everyone knows that I am not biased about Mike, but I think he can help us because yeah, okay. So yes. Um also playing a role in that sometimes are occasionally people from Iowa. You know, because they're you know such good stock and Mitch good Keller and Mitch. Well, Mitch is different because Mitch is super talented and from Iowa, not just like random waiver wire guy. Okay. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I just saw Mitch like before uh, joining you guys, and that's another real small world sort of fun bit of the role is you know getting to know him better and getting to root for him and getting to see him sort of do this right. And yeah. uh, I root for him so much because I. I believe very strongly in the quality of his character and sort of how he has grown up in baseball. And um, he's just so easy to root for because he works really hard and he treats people with great empathy and respect. And um, it's not just because he's from Iowa, his parents raised him right. And he's got a beautiful wife who loves him. And like, he's just, it's just so easy. But when they're, when they're all like that, it's like, good grief, this is really yeah. fun. And oh, by the way, he's really nasty and like second in the league in strikeouts and things like that. Sarah and I have talked about him a lot on here because um, when we yeah. were with the Mets in 2017, um, we I saw him in single A and I thought he was the nastiest pitcher in that league. And, you know, it's been so fun to watch him make that climb up. Like I remember a video last year where he had this great start and Shelton like hugged him in the dugout. I was like, I, that was just awesome. That was, that was awesome. Yes. So. Yeah, we love it, guys being cute. We're definitely a, a pro um, Mitch Keller podcast, I would say. Good. Well, that's another reason that's a good fit for me. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, okay, to one, no pun intended, wind things down. Um, you're going home tonight. You're going to open a bottle of wine. What is that wine going to be? It's probably something from a producer called Dumal, D U M O L. And they make really good Pinot and Chardonnay, and they make actually some really good Cap too. But if I'm if I'm drinking alone, it's probably a Chardonnay, and if I'm drinking with Sarah, it's going to be a Pinot Noir. So love it. Nice. Well, you'll have to come back on. This has been amazing. Next time we'll do it in person, so we can drink together. Yeah, we'll I drink a, a Cabernet and a Pinot Noir together, and we can we'll open up multiple bottles. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We'll do some baseball trivia. We'll do some Iowa Princeton baseball trivia. How's that? Oh my gosh, I'm so yeah. here for it. You know I love <laughs> trivia. Yes, you do. You dominate <laughs> trivia. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on, Stro. Oh, so good as always to talk with you. Appreciate. Thanks it. for having me. Making it easy. God, easy baseball life and wine questions. You know, it's like if there was if every day was this good, then uh, we'd all be living charmed lives. So. All right. Uh, cheers. Alrighty. Thanks, Stro. Thanks, Scotty Mo. Thanks, Sarah. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. And we're back. Lovely interview with Stro Chacho. That was that was fun. Fun conversation. It's good to have uh, another assistant GM from the Pirates on the pod. Yes. Um, I think the foul vine fever is is going through the Pirates front office right now. So I think it is. Um, I also think it's just the best time for me to reach out. But um, let's get into week twenty one. Your favorite number, Roberto Clemente. I was just 21. gonna say it's week twenty one. Shout out Roberto. 
Um, I think he just had, it was his birthday recently. Well, there you go. It was also your birthday recently. It was, it was, tis true. Um, Alrighty, so Sarah, this weekend we had some good baseball. Um, I'm going to start with the not-so-good baseball. The Red Sox swept uh, some team in New York. I can't remember their name. Um, so, they, you know, they swept. How convenient. You don't remember. And the team in New York, um, they happened to be on an eight-game losing streak. Irrelevant, right? Um, yeah, the Yankees are bad. Are bad. Um, I'll just leave it at that. The Pirates were in Minnesota, Minnesota. The Twins take two of three. Um, Kutch hit his 11th home run on Saturday. It was a bomb to right center, upper deck, after uh, off of uh, Jordan Belazovic for the Twins. So love to see some Kutch highlights. Yeah, Palacios is doing well as well, which is surprising. Love to see that, too. Yeah. Um, Sunday, Dallas Keuchel held, uh, held a perfect game into the seventh on the Pirates. Yeah. That I was a little bit surprised to see, to be honest with you. Dallas hasn't, or should I say Kelly's husband? Thank you. Hasn't uh, been the same guy. You know, he had a couple good years in Houston, really relied on missing bats out of the zone. Didn't have an over through like 89, 90, maybe. Um, but yeah, he's has been bouncing around and probably pitched the best game he's pitched since his World Series year, honestly. Yeah. And Brian Reynolds, good for you for breaking it up. Love that. That's Shut what up. you need out of the out of the team. Shut up, Brian. Yeah, um, you got to come up with a new word other than shout up, but I digress. I know, I do. I've been, I've been saying it a lot. I'll, I'll do my best not to say it for the rest of the episode. Okay. It's just fun to say stuff with Good us. Right next <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, in other news, Milwaukee, they mm. went down to Texas mm. and they swept the Rangers. Yeah, what a series crazy. for Milwaukee. Um, Carlos Santana has been on a Terry to three run Homer on uh, Friday to give them the lead in the seventh. Then he also opened up Saturday's game with a solo home run. Carlos has been a big addition for the brew crew. Um, Sunday, Max Scherzer moved into 11th all time in strikeouts with 3,344. 3, um, that's crazy. He's 11th all time. He's only 27 behind number 10 too. And that's Greg Maddox. Mm, and he's so, probably the only one with two different colored eyes. I would put a lot of money on that, yes. Yeah. So how about that, Stalin? <laughs> how about that? Um, almost said the word, but I, I didn't. I have out. <laughs> <laughs> so easy. So the Blue Jays went down to Great American Small Park in Cincinnati. Um, they take two of three. The highlight, though, Friday, Christian Encarnacion Strand, uh, rookie sensation for the Reds. Had a walk off homer in the ninth to win one nothing. Um, I maybe this is this is the highlight. Saturday, Ellie De La Cruz hit an inside the park home run. Shocker! I feel like he's going to do that a couple times. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, big time uh, offensive weekend for the Blue Jays. They went off on Sunday with Hunter Green's return to the rotation. Um, Blue Jays are winning games that they need to here down the stretch. So mm -hmm. good news for Toronto. Next, we're going Seattle at Houston. Sarah, Seattle is on one, dude. I'm so excited to talk about this. I am all on the Mariners train. I said before the season, they've been one of the more disappointing teams like through midway through the season. It's been like 500, but I feel like they're playing the real baseball right now. Like, they're on a seven-game win streak, dude. They are. And I thought, I said at the beginning of the season, this is the most complete team. Yeah, like, he did. Lineup, rotation, 
bullpen. I still think they have some holes, but I think this team can be a threat in the play. I mean, the pitching is unreal. They just they need to cut down the strikeouts. That's a big, big problem. They swept the Astros. Yeah, and that's not easy to do. Yeah, um, they're they're holding on, but slightly to the last wild card spot. Toronto is only a game away. Yeah, that, that last wild card spot, someone is going to miss the playoffs who deserves to be in. Yeah. Um, between, I think it's Seattle, Toronto, and Tampa? Or no, well, no, no, no. Yeah, Tampa has it four and a half, then Houston by a half. Seattle. Oh, Houston. Even, yep, no, yeah, Toronto a game under. So, uh, yeah, that'll be wild. But the real wild, wildness, I think, comes in the NL wild card. Oh, for sure. For sure, and we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, but Julio Rodriguez was the big uh, news this weekend for the Mariners. Went uh, Entered Friday going 13 for his last 16, um, which is ridiculous. He had four straight four-hit games, um, and he set an MLB record with 17 hits in, in a four-game stretch. Uh, he was just on one. Pairing on it one. Yeah. Uh, Jose Altuve, 2,000 career hits. Um, I was going to say it, but I'm not going to. Altuve... Congrats. Congrats. Big accomplishment. Um, last series of, of the weekend, Marlins at Dodgers. Mm. This was a series where the Dodgers take two of three. Um, they entered the series winning 11 straight. They've been on a tear. Yeah, they're 9-1 and one in their last 10. They really haven't looked back since the All-Star break. They came out hot, haven't looked back, and um, – Miami needed this more. Miami, though, is still only a game and a half out of the wild card contention. So crazy. The Marlins are still in it. Um, that NL wild card, like you said, the Cubs, Reds, D backs, Marlins are all within a half game of each other or fewer for mm -hmm. that final wild card spot. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a race too. Um, some other news just quickly to go over for this weekend. Bobby Witt, um, he's five home runs shy of the first 30-30 season in Royals history. That's 30 Whoa. home runs, 30 stolen bases. He is turning into a perennial all-star um he's got a lot of career ahead of him too so fun to watch um they have something to be hopeful for in kansas city yeah um friday this is the most angels headline on earth tampa goes into anaheim otani grand slam nolan shanuel first career hit game saving triple play and the angels lose nine to six yeah like how <laughs> with all that happening crazy yeah crazy, crazy, poor crazy. angels poor honestly just shohei and trout like two of the best baseball players to ever live and they can't even get to the playoffs sad sad sad, it is sad. um in, in brighter news the braves were the first team to 80 wins and on sunday um sarah i don't know if you saw this but the little league world series game um in williamsport yeah, the Phillies were in attendance to cheer on the team from Philly. Um, that was pretty cool. Like yeah, that just was Trey Turner, Schwarber. You know what? What do you call that? Guys being cute. Guys being cute. Yes, that's uh, right. Our recurring segment. Awesome, awesome to see. Um, since it's Tuesday, we don't have a lot to go over for this week. There's a couple series to watch that I've noted. I was actually at Game One of the Cardinals at Pirates last night. Pirates went up one nothing. In the series, uh, it's the face-off of the Palacios brother, brothers. Richie plays for the Cardinals. Um, we have Josh and the Pirates. Uh, Pirates went off, and hopefully they continue tonight against Adam Wainwright. 
We also have the Giants, the Phillies. Those two teams are fighting for an NL wild, wild card spot. Um, Bryce Harper hit it inside the park home run last night. Cool to see. And two other matchups to watch is Toronto at Baltimore, Minnesota at Milwaukee. So a lot of baseball ahead of us this week before um, you know, before we get to the weekend and talk about those matchups. Yeah, great. Thanks for a recap in 21. Oh my gosh, it's going by so fast. It's only like two weeks left, Scotty. What? Crazy. Crazy. That's insane. But before we lament, um, let's go back and do our superlatives for this week. Let's do it. Sarah, who's your hit of the week? Do, 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 do. That's, the, that's the right noise. My hitter of the week is a podcast favorite. Um, in this last weekend series against Oakland, he had four walks and five hits. We love a guy who walks and produces hits. That's Adley Rushman. My guy. Oh, Adley Rushman. Big fan of Adley. Four hits and five walks. That's, that's a good – he was on base a lot, especially yeah. in Oakland. That's kind of funny. Um, oh, Adley. <laughs> I am going with – and I thought you were going to take him. I'm going with Julio Rodriguez. Mm. In his last five games, he's 18 for 27. Uh, two home runs, eight RBIs, five stolen bases. Um, I think I, I mentioned that he set an MLB record with 17 hits in four games, four straight four-hit games. I mean, that's just – he was seeing a beach balls up there at the plate. <laughs> yeah. Um, seeing the ball well. So, Batting Julio. Um, okay, pitcher with the guy on the mound for me this week. He's going to be our local pierogi eating guy, Mitch Keller, putting the strikeout in Keller, 12 strikeouts and one walk versus Minnesota. Hell yeah. Keller had a great outing in Minnesota. Uh, it's yep. good to see him. Bounce. He's had a couple rough ones, so glad to see him bounce back. Yeah, against a first-place team, no less. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to go with – um, oh, this is tough. If I, two, yeah, <laughs> I am going to go with Yuri Perez, mm. rookie phenom for the Marlins. Six innings, two hits, no earned runs, 10 Ks in Los Angeles. He's the youngest player to record 10 games, 10 Ks in a game since Felix Hernandez in 05. This dude was born in 2003. I was in third grade. That's crazy. That's yeah. wild. Well, don't want to think about that. <laughs> So Yuri Perez, 20 years old and, you know, doing it in professional baseball. Having himself a week. Um, nice. Shout out Yuri. Here, I'll say it for you. Um, okay, play of the week. My play of the week um, is that Angels, when the Angels went down to Tampa, Randall Grichik, um robbed a home run. Uh, Yandy Diaz home run. Nonetheless, did it pretty well. Empty stadium, but don't play. Oh, yeah. I'm actually going to pick a play from the same series. I'm picking the triple play from Friday. Nice. Uh, not every day you see a triple play. It was a 6-4-3-2 versus the Rays. Um, yeah, they still end up losing. Typical Angels. Yeah. Nice. Um, I'm going to go into matchups of the week. Yeah, those are our superlatives. Good stuff. Let's do it. So games we're looking forward to, Scotty. Um, good weekend series, only a few more weekend series left, which is just wild. So, Easy. um, get it in while you can. I'm gonna go with oh, I like a lot, I like a lot this weekend. Um, I'm gonna go 
with Cubs at Pirates. Gives the Pirates a chance to be a little bit of upsetters um, for the Cubs, and I think it'll be a fun one to watch. Oh, yeah. That will be a fun one to watch. Um, um, I think they have a chance to not finish last in the division here with the Cardinals, and they can definitely play spoilers too. So, um, I'm going to go with Texas at Minnesota. Yeah. Big series for Minnesota. Um, you know, hold your ground at home and go up against one of the best offenses in the American League. You're going to have to be able to beat them to get to the final game anyway. So, love it. I had that on that. On my list as well, uh, I'm going to head to the National League again, go Reds at Diamondbacks. This is battle for the NL wild card right here. Um, let's see them battle it out. Both young teams willing to fight, fun to watch. Let's watch it. Let's see it. Love it. Love it. That's a good one. I'm definitely going to try to capture some of that. But um, I'm going to go with Atlanta at San Francisco. Um, big series for the Giants at home. Again, another team that has a chance to play spoiler at home. Um, and also increase their standings they're in a wild card chase so um go giants honorable mention dodgers at red sox because who doesn't love a la coastal elites yeah a coastal elite (laughs) battle basically awesome Um, also any listeners out in la hope you're doing all right hurricane stuff that picture Um, of dodger stadium was crazy yeah i mean it does sit in a ravine but like i never thought that was possible right exactly i'm sure we'll get into that much more in vibes so uh take a break with us and we'll be right back sarah we got a lot of vibes yeah Um, actually let me start with my names those are the they're intertwined with vibes um, so Little League World Series is happening in Pennsylvania, as it always does um, each year. And there was there's a girl on one of the teams this year. She's a pitcher. She's a starting pitcher. So she's my name of the week, Stella Weaver. Excellent name. No way. That's a great yeah, name. Yeah, starting pitcher for Nolansville um, in Little League World Series. And, yeah, epic. Shout out, Stella Weaver. Like, represent all women who like to play baseball weaving through the lineup weaving through batters like it's no one's business um and then it reminded me of this video that we watched that i always love um and it's of kids in the little league world series in 2009 and every player in this video is like my favorite player is jason marquis my name's this and my favorite player is jason marquis and then the one guy I'm Paul Pizzo, and my favorite player is Jason Marquis. Do you remember? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or Big Al and I hit dingers. <laughs> yeah. So my um, old-timer name of the weeks are Paul Pizzo from the Little League World Series in 2009, um, and also Jason Marquis because he was every kid's player favorite player in 2009. Yeah, Paul Pizzo. That's, so, that's and, such a random favorite player. Jason I know. Marquis. That's why it's so <laughs> funny. Like, what? what? You had a good career, but like, say that's your favorite player. It's so random. We're gonna post. I'll send the video to you, Scotty, and you can post it on our yeah, story and on Twitter um, because it's just it gets me every time. <laughs> my name is Paul Pizzo, and my favorite player is Jason Murphy. I sent it to the Valvine podcast email. Oh, perfect. Um, I will put that up there. Um, so they, those are your names. We got the Little yes. League World Series going on. Um, should I even? Should I confess or no? Yes, tell us I'm the not, truth. 
I'm not, here's the thing. Sarah's like, I'm assuming you're going to be talking about Little League World Series. I'm like, Sarah, to be honest with you, like, I have never liked Little League World Series. What is <laughs> when that? I say, when I say that, people act like I killed somebody. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, how dare you say that? They're kids. I just, I, I don't have the patience. Like, and, mm -hmm. and, and they treat these kids like they're major leaguers. And how many make it, Sarah? Yeah, not a lot. I mean, Paul Pizzo never made it. But Scotty, like you bring that same attitude to your softball team. So how yes. it's just how can you hate on the Little League World Series? I don't know. I think I need to do some uh, self reflection and come back on that. But mm -hmm. you know, for now, I'm I'm a little like my dad will uh, text me as a joke, be like, "Hey, big game on ESPN." Like, I love so, that. I love that you're an official hater of the Little League. Yeah, like people know that I am. It's 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 known. It's a known thing. So, um, I have problems. I don't know. Uh, but vibes. What I do have for us this week is actual baseball news. Okay. okay. Uh, um, first things first. The Nationals signed Davy. Oh, my phone dropped. Sorry, I'm reading my All notes good. here. Uh, Nationals signed Davy Martinez to a two-year extension and are close to a new deal with their GM, Mike Rizzo. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, they've rebuilt, uh, but they're staying with the manager that brought them a World Series. Um, and Mike Rizzo has been there since I think, since they became the Nationals or shortly after, he's been there a while. Uh, so consistency in the Nationals front office. Um, I think they have a bright future. Dylan Cruz is killing it. Um, which brings us to the call-ups. Yes. The Cardinals called up top prospect Mason Wynn. I watched him last night here in Pittsburgh. He's their top shortstop uh, or top prospect, but he happens to be a shortstop. He used to, used to be a two-way guy, throws really hard across the diamond. He should be a um, fun player to watch. Uh, did you see the controversy about his first hit? No. He hit a dribbler down the third baseline. He beat it out. Um, Pete Alonso. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I did see this. <laughs> I, didn't I just realize, I can't believe because like, I knew it was a Pete Alonso news. I didn't really think of it as like what's his name, Austin Wynn. No, what's his name? See, so yeah, you don't Mason wins. Like it's not Mason his Wynn. news. It's Pete Alonso news. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, which sucked. But like the funny thing to me, and this is such a Pete move, was that he didn't even he didn't just like lightly toss it over the net. He went like this, like he. <laughs> Iron that ball like even if that wasn't a first hit like why did you throw that ball in the stands like that it was like so which made he's me such a hard he he just doesn't know like oh poor pete bless his heart like he i think just had a brain fart like he said and then literally just doesn't know like he's such a hardo in everything he does yeah yeah no uh oh, like the so home run derby but. exactly exactly <laughs> Apparently, he sent Mason an autographed bat and bottle of Don Julio. So, cool. Yeah, it's like, great. I don't want your fucking bat, dude. What? The sign, the auto sign bat is like, I, I think that's a little bit of. It's weird. It's a weird move. It's a weird move. It's a very weird move. He's yeah, weird. Like, I'm sorry. Weird. Here's my here's my autograph. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm but, sorry I threw your first hit ball into the stands. Here's my autograph on a bat that you will like. This is not worth anything to him, probably. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, just such a cocky move to be like, this guy definitely wants my autograph. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I think in good news, they did find that we're able to locate the ball. Right, right. So that's that's the good news. All righty, and then you know we have another call up. Angels call up first baseman Nolan Shanuel from Double uh, A. He's the first player to to debut from this uh, recent draft. He was drafted forty days ago, Sarah. 
40 Crazy. days. 11th overall pick. They led him off. The Angels are just, are just like, hey, let's just just do it. Let's be aggressive. Let's go for it. We want to put the best team on the field. Um, I'm all for it. Um, he got his first hit in game one. It was a single to left center. So Shanu watch out for Nolan Shanuel. He's an on-base machine, as the scouts say. Yeah. Uh, the, the Reds call up top prospect Noel V. Marte. He was a part of the Luis Castillo trade. He was a top prospect for the Mariners last year, shortstop. They have a lot of middle infielders. And he's the 14th Red to debut this season. They are just going all – like this This team is going to be fun to watch over the next few years. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm excited for the Reds in uh, Great American Small Park. <laughs> <laughs> <It's very tough>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Giants call up top pitching prospect Kyle Harrison to debut on two. I think he's debuting tonight in Philly. So I'll have to check in to see how he's doing. He's a lefty. I think he's one of the better left handed prospects in baseball. Um, so pitching help for the Giants. The Tigers called up Parker Meadows, brother of Austin Meadows. He was gonna be one of he was gonna be a name of the week because it's uh, just Parker, Parker Meadows. Meadows. That's a Georgia name. I know, right? If there ever was one. So he's um, he's a big guy, but he's apparently an elite center fielder. Um, they're moving Riley Green in the right field. They've got some depth. Um, Detroit's like feisty right now. I think yeah, they, they have are. better chances to make the playoffs than the Yankees do right now. Can you believe that? Would Did you I say have Yankees? That? Yeah. Would you have ever thought that at the beginning of the season? No, no. I picked the Royals over the Tigers in this division because I thought, oh, they have a Bobby Witt. Like they have a a guy. Um. But yeah, it's just been really bad for Kansas City. Um, and then some promotion. Well, the Yankees also called up Everson Pereira. They haven't had a left fielder in over a year, and they finally call one up when they're four games <laughs> under 500. So here we go. Who's um, got to go? Let me just say, man. The Cashman's got to be sent to Rikers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably pretty cruel, but whatever. <laughs> um, Oswald Peraza is getting called back up. You know, he's one of those guys that the Yankees love to send down, call back up, send down, call back up, and ruin his development. You know, one of those guys. Yeah, one of those. Um, the two LSU guys that were drafted one, two, Pirates promoted um, Paul Skeens to double A Altoona. And uh, the Giant or the Nationals promoted Dylan Cruz, who's killing it in the minors, to double A Harrisburg. So maybe they'll face off. That would be fun. That would be super fun. And one last promotion, the Padres promoted their top international signing, Ethan Salas, to double A at 17 years old. Yeah, wild. 17. He, yeah, like he can't even legally do so many things, but he's playing. I think he's going to debut before he's 20. Um, I think oh, that's yeah. the question going to happen. He's already the sixth pro number six prospect in baseball. Um, so, you know, Ethan Salas, what, that's, a, that's quite a story there. Um, can't even vote. Can't even vote. He can't some, even vote. So, <laughs> some IL news. He can't even drink either. Well, well, a lot of people to vote. Really drink. Thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, IL news. Tony Gonsolin to the IL with the elbow issue. He's unlikely to pitch for the rest of the season. Bad news for the Dodgers. But you know mm -hmm. what? They've got depth. They're so fine. Right. They're fine. But they also sent JD Martinez back to the IL with left mm -hmm. groin tightness. That's no fun. Um, Emerson Hancock, uh, pitching prospect for the Mariners, made two or three starts uh, this year, debuted a few weeks ago, suffered a right shoulder strain. He's transferred to the 60-day IL. I think it's safe to say he's done for the year. Um, and then the Blue Jays, DFA'd Paul DeYoung after they acquired him only 18 days ago. Yeah. What? Crazy. Why? 
Well, I'll tell you why. Because tell me why, Scotty. Bo Bichette went on the IL, and I think they were scared it might be a long-term thing, and then it wasn't. And then they were like, we don't have roster space for you uh, to see a, for a guy who's batting 210 or whatever. Yeah, gotcha. Um, but anyways, Stroh mentioned this front office news yes. on our interview. The White Sox fired President Kenny Williams and GM Rick Hahn. I believe both of them had been there since their last World Series win in 2004. Um, or 05, sorry, 05. That's still and, long overdue. You know, our, our good friends, Bennett and, and Keelan. Uh, Keelan was a guest of ours. She helped preview the AL Central with us back in March. Um, from their tweets, I'm going to say that they are very happy about this move. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I see a lot of Rick Hahn hate. And, um, you know, just, I think, White Sox front office, Jerry Reinsdorf hate um, a lot on their timeline. Yeah. It's so, like Liza like said, it's about damn time. Exactly. I'm happy that our friends are happy. Um Aaron Judge, Sarah, did you see this? Your boy signed, signed a deal with Jordan Brand. I, I saw this. Yeah. Cool. But I also want to know who the hell, who the hell approved of that picture that he took. I know who is the Michael PR Jordan person? six ring picture. Like yeah. I, I honestly think, and I have this wild, wild take here. I okay. think that might be the curse. They're gonna have like a a Babe Ruth like Red Sox curse. Curse. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Like. He has zero rings. He has zero. What is he doing replicating that? It's like, I mean, he can say not, something, no? You're not Yogi Bear. Yeah, he can say something. He's a grown-ass man. They're paying him to be there. Like, he should... What? Who's his PR? I would fire his PR person that's, right away. That's what like, I would If like, I was yeah. his publicist, I'm not letting that go down. That it, it, They've just been humiliated over that picture and yeah. like i can't believe he i would have been like no i'm not doing that like such uh, a bad look also just a bad time with like well, how this season's going with like, how, yeah it's like now you're gonna, the endorsement but you like, know like, you know who would never do such a thing don't you yeah i know he's gonna be the next gm by the way there's rumors of that so we can only pray um <laughs> two more tidbits for uh vibes this week sarah we got the 2024 little league classic was announced it will be yankees versus tigers the tigers will probably beat them really badly um at this rate so we'll see how that goes but um fun matchup going into next year um and then also the orioles owner john angelos known wacko okay yeah, certified the, the uh, orioles have been in the angelos family since inception i believe he said that the only way the team can afford to keep this young core is by raising prices dramatically. My guy. <laughs> what not to say 101 when your team is having the best year ever. Like, I don't know. Like, why does that need to be said? Like, it doesn't. I, I, we know you're a cheap prick, but like, oh, uh, that's just, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like he keeps, I, I've seen a couple quotes from the Angelos family over the last few weeks as the Orioles have the best record in the ALEs and I think in the AL. Like keep like positive. What are we doing here? Why are we talking about what we're gonna do to keep the young core around? Like they're they're still on their rookie contracts, like and far from free agency. So like let's enjoy these next four or five years. Yeah. So first it's the reporter, now it's this. Like, what are the Orioles doing? They have it good. What why are they blowing up the ship? Exactly. Oh, just even by making a comment like that, it's just, you know, because they also mentioned Jackson Holiday, who was a number one overall pick last year, Matt Holiday's son out of mm -hmm. high school. He's just, he, he's, it's like a man amongst boys in, 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 in the minor leagues. He's hitting like 380 in double A. 
as like a 19 year old. Yeah. They're, they've already had discussions internally. This was a report of calling him up for the playoffs. Mm. Crazy. Because Gunnar Henderson's killing it. Yeah. Jackson Holiday, you got Adley. I mean, that that team, if that will be a bandwagon team for me this October. Calling it right now. Okay. I mean, okay. What if it's like Seattle versus. That Baltimore? is my World, you... World Series. That's my World Series. Oh, and, and your AL World Series. That is my World Series. That is the real coastal elites. <laughs> <laughs> Seattle and Baltimore. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, Alrighty. Good so that's stuff. What we got for vibes there. This was love this it. Was fun. Love late August vibes around the vineyard. It's baseball is in full swing, winding up, getting ready for fall baseball, which we all know is the best. So, really yeah. good stuff, Scotty. Love the vibes. Let's uh, finish out this epi with the wine rating and comp. We'll take a break. Join Let's us. Do it. <laughs> okay, so talked to Stro tonight. That was super fun. He gave us a little bit of some insight. He'd say he would rate this Robert Mondavi Kapsov around 50-55. Do you agree or disagree? Um, I agree. I'm gonna go 55. Mm. Yeah. I agree. I think it's I think it's a great sipping wine. Like if you're sitting around with friends, especially like this is not something like I'm drinking. This is not an easy drink, okay? Mm -hmm. Like this is something I want to sit around and enjoy with friends slowly, like sip on it. And uh, it's bold, but flavorful too. Yeah, I would agree. I'm gonna go with 50, honestly. Mine's a little, like, I don't love the bourbon whiskey taste, aftertaste on it, especially because um, I'm not like having barbecue with it. Maybe if I was, I, I think that would be um, a good pairing, but since I'm not, um, it's not my favorite because it is a little bit overwhelming. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in, um, but I'll go with a 50. Okay. I really like it. Do you have a comp? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. Um, oh, man. I'm going to say okay. Pablo Sandoval, but like the end years of Pablo Sandoval when he was struggling um, to lose weight and hopping from team to team. Like still good, can can hit the ball, bold, round, not everyone's cup of tea. Can be a little overwhelming. Okay. Um, all righty. I think I am going to go with – I'm going to go with Cedric Mullins. Okay. Okay, I want to go I with my that. Baltimore guy. Um, I think he's just – yeah, he's bold in the outfield, that's for sure. Uh, he puts his body on the line. And um, but he's very enjoyable to watch. Um, like I could watch Cedric Mullins roam the outfield for hours. <laughs> yeah. He's got a nice left-handed swing. Um, yeah, bold and exciting. I I'm going to go with Cedric Mullins. Love it, bold and exciting, just like this podcast, right, Scotty? Absolutely. Uh, especially on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, where you can find us. Damn right. Also, you can email us at thefoulvine at gmail.com. We appreciate any wine recommendations or suggestions or baseball fun knowledge. Um, shout out Papa Stein for hitting up the email. So, cheers, Scotty. Another week in the books. Salute, Sarah. Intro music by Jordan Montgomery and Driving Well Black Records. Big paper, I increase my wealth, uh.
Red wine that's good for my health uh, Wrestle with demons, I ain't take no L's uh, Allow me to introduce myself I said, big paper, I increase my wealth huh? Red wine that's good for my health uh, Wrestle with demons, I ain't take no L's huh? Allow me to introduce myself Oh, thank you.